0: History is never over. Three minutes of footage shot by David Kurtz in 1938 are the only moving images remaining of the Jewish inhabitants of Nascelsk in Poland just before the Holocaust. Narrated by actress Elena Bonham Carter, three minutes a lengthening explores the human stories hidden within the celluloid. We're joined today by the director of this wonderful documentary film that would be Bianca Stichter. Bianca, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, pleasure thank you. to meet you. Yes, nice meeting you. Uh, thank you so much for this film. Uh, there's just so much of the story itself, the way it's told, the haunting nature of the film, and the, and the opportunity to kind of meditate on this world that of the people that we lost and, mm-hmm. and and of the humanity behind it all. Tell me a little bit about how you became aware of the story the book, and then moving forward into a film. How did all that happen?
1: Um, Well, way, way back in 2014, I was scrolling on Facebook and I saw a post called Three Minutes in Poland. And I thought that's a very intriguing um, title. So I clicked on it and found out it was uh, a book called Three Minutes in Poland uh, written by Glenn Kurtz about the home movie his grandfather had shot in 1938 in the town of his uh, birth, Narschelsk in Poland, um, not so far from Warsaw. And it also said that you could watch um, the footage he shot on the website of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. So I went over there and watched it and was immediately very caught by it in first instance, because it was um, for a large part in color. And that is, of course, for that um, uh, time and place, very rare. But, you know, everything we see from that time, which is recorded, is usually in black and white, almost to such an extent that we start to think that it happened in black and white. But here you saw it in glorious, albeit a bit um, faded colors. And what you saw was a very vibrant, uh, vivid street scene with all children that uh, wave and look in the lens and try to stay um, in the frame. And um, as I was really watching it very closely, then suddenly it was over because three minutes are, of course, quite short. So I immediately had the thought, wouldn't it be great if he could make it somehow last longer to extend it in some way. But I wasn't working as a filmmaker, more as a film critic. So I didn't do anything with this thought. Until a few weeks later, Rotterdam Film Festival asked me to make a video essay that just became in, in fashion then to make video essays. And I said okay um yes I would love to work with this um old footage and they said okay go ahead so then we made for the festival a version of um, 20 minutes after I I contacted uh, Clan and read his book and interviewed him Um, then I thought okay we can still do more with this um, material we can extend it and lengthen it more so then it took another five years to make the documentary as it is now
0: you mentioned that the film was shot in uh, August of 1938. Yes. I think it's important for our audience in the, sort of the context of world history. This is almost precisely 13 months prior to the beginning of World War II. Yes. And that event was triggered by the Nazi German military invading Poland, which set off a chain of events, which led to World War II. Yes. And so when you're watching this film, It's not just watching these people as they go about their lives, about the fantastical nature of someone with a camera in town and Mm -hmm. everyone who can is trying to get in front of that camera. So you see that the joy, the the, without guile, this joy of being captured on film. But you also cannot help but think of what we all know is inevitable for these people. Um, It's just it's such a powerful anchor for the film. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like the whole film pivots around that notion that we know how this is generally going to go.
1: Absolutely, especially because a lot of uh, people, especially the children, are, are really looking into the lens, into the camera. So they have this urge to be seen. They want to be seen. So in a sense, when you're looking at them, you feel very close to them and they don't want to see, be seen necessarily by us, but still it gives the feeling as if you're answering them. But at the same time, you feel this closeness. You are very aware that it is an illusion because there's a ravine separating us of time and history. We cannot warn them. We cannot do anything but watch. So it's also very frustrating in that sense. In
0: beginning the process of deciding how you're going to approach the material, how you're going to tell the story, working with Glenn Kurtz. What was your sort of north star, if you will, of what you wanted from the film? What was the the historic value of it, the humanity of it? the, the What was
1: it that, that sort of guide, was your guiding principle in putting the film together? Absolutely. First instance, I think uh, the footage testifies to the enormous raw power of of film and photography as recording devices because it's so different from anything that went before painting or sculpture you never have that sense that this is really um, uh, documenting you know this is really um the raw power of of this um media so you really can can see it as a kind of um, evidence yes these people have really existed and because the footage is quite rare what then follows is of course and um, that you want to know everything there is to know about it even the tiniest piece of information feels as a kind of a revelation or a kind of victory of um, the erasure that was intended by the by the Germans. The film is bracketed by seeing all of the footage. Mm-hmm. We
0: see it at the very beginning, all of it again at the end. And that's powerful. And and I found as someone watching the film that I would be picking out people in the crowd every time we saw the footage playback again over that I would be looking, try, try to sort of figure out and place myself in that square like what would i be thinking I, particularly the young woman that we see in a lot of different scenes in in the in the three minutes who seem to really know where the camera was and seemed to be sort of performing if you will i mean at least she, she i'm sure in her own mind but you can't help but put yourself right there what were they thinking what was going on for them in this moment of of a sort of a, a very festive event in the town were just that little little bit of time that that was going on and for me
1: that is so powerful yes that's where i i apart from getting all this information the 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 other uh, strand, let's say what i was trying to to do is just let the let the footage be let it breathe so that you really can get acquainted with this place and this people and hopefully in such an open way that the viewer can have the i feeling that he's roaming the images him or herself so if that um happened to you i'm very glad and of course when you see the footage the first time you you let it come over you but when you see it at the end of the movie this the second time you re- start to recognize things you you oh you focus on this person or that person you have a totally um different relation um with the material than before.
0: Just want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Bianca Steeter. She is the director of the documentary film called Three Minutes, A Lengthening, and it will be opening here in Los Angeles this Friday, August 19th at the Lemley Royal. It's also, I believe, playing currently or will be at the Quad Cinema 4 in New York City, so be looking for it there. The film is also, in addition to the sort of visceral that i'm talking about the the emotional part of it it is a forensic breakdown mm-hmm. of what was going on first of all the detective work that went into just finding out what city it was that that kind of work that you mm-hmm. had to undertake along with glenn and then figuring out trying to figure out if we could identify and this is where the important person in the film comes into it maurice chandler who uh, was provided a lot of information for you? Let's talk a little bit about Maurice Chandler.
1: Well, his, um, like I did later, um, his granddaughter saw the footage on the website of the Holocaust Museum and then she recognized her grandfather as a 13 year old boy. And he was still alive. He's still alive today. He's 97 now. So that, of course, gave um, an enormous impulse to the research and also an enormous difference in how you can watch this material. For me, it's like a historical document. But for him, it is his past that he didn't have anything of. He said to his children uh, when they had seen it the first time, now you know I'm not from Mars. I am really from... A a specific time and a specific place that I can actually show you something of now. So that was, of course, yeah, very. um, It brings the material uh, much more to to life than if it was only um, a historical uh, document, and it makes you wonder. You know, we're so lucky that Mr. Chandler is is with us still, but there will become a time that. There's no one there anymore who actually lived through this time. So this film is a bit on the cusp of that moment.
0: Well, and just the set of circumstances that I just described, that his daughter was on a site that saw the film, mm-hmm. recognized her grandfather, and then him for him to be able to turn around and after 70 years, look back and see people in that crowd. And to be able to identify them again is—it's uh,
1: it, it's amazing. There's so many incredible coincidences connected to this uh, to this story. For instance, when Glenn found the, the the reels of film back, they were in such a bad condition that if he had found it only a month later, and it would have been not be able to save it anymore. So that video really goes to show the fragility of, of um, the historical records that
0: we have. Right. Well, without extrapolating too far on that a line of thinking, the fragility of life, the fragil- fragility yeah. of the film is about the fragility of life, that That's these people were enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that in that crowd, there was a bit of a, a breakdown of class distinction, even because this was such a big event that uh, we had yeah. people that might not necessarily have been hanging out with one another in that crowd. So that's another part of this.
1: This is a film that has a lot of layers to it. When your main informant is a a 13 year old boy, that of course affects what he knows and what he remembers. For instance, he didn't remember any names of of girls because he wasn't allowed to associate with girls because he was from a very Orthodox religious uh, background. All these kind of uh, things are are, uh, explained in the documentary.
0: I would be remiss if I didn't mention the looming horror of what the Nazis did. And just to give some context to just how quickly all of these things happened, how Mm -hmm. radically these people's lives changed. The invasion of Poland was September 1st, 1939, the beginning of their horrific I don't know, journey is not the word I, I should be using, mm-hmm. began in, 19, in in December of that year when the Volstadt moved in, and they were basically this the shock troops that were in charge of rounding up the Jewish people and essentially sending them to their deaths. So within a, just a few months beyond the invasion, this is this is what we know. And this mm-hmm. is again, you can't, this is the shadow that is cast over this entire film. And in the film, we get to the present day, as we discuss what the remnants of Jewish life was in that town. And, and let's talk about that. You know, what of what what the Jews is re, and, and that town and that, that community
1: remains? Um, almost nothing. But now it's, it's a little bit um, changing. As you see at the end of the movie, after it was um, made, there was a memorial erected on the crowns of the Jewish cemetery and also um, a, a mural about the bottom factory that plays a large part in the movie. So there are some starting points now that this part of the Jewish history of Nashelsk is also actually remembered in Nashelsk itself. reaction of the film has been
0: very well received film and in terms of Kurtz or the Chandlers the reaction with any of the people that were a part of this we have as I mentioned Helena Bonham Carter who is the narrator you have wonderful you have a lot of wonderful people Steve McQueen is involved as a producer
1: what's what what about the sort of reaction The film has been most gratifying for you well it's of course in general really um great to to see that what you set out to do is is uh, resonates with with people that they are really moved by the film because I also hoped that the film would work as as that as a viewer you kind of partake in the creation of a memorial by also by the act of viewing so you're not just a passive watcher you're more like an active viewer because a thing like the the Holocaust can be a big abstraction. So such large numbers, so many people um, murdered, it's it's almost incomprehensible. And here, that abstraction is, is for at least a few people. We can really uh, see that it happened not to uh, 6 million people, but that all those 6 million people were individuals that it happened to. This long hair, short hair, looking, looking happy, being being shy, and making a strange face, and so on and so on. So in that sense, you, you really get a feeling of the individuals who where this history happened too. So in that sense, for me, it's very much a film against erasure.
0: Well, congratulations on the film. Three minutes a lengthening. And this, along with a recent documentary, I just interviewed Henry Cognier for his work on where they stood, which is in a similar vein. Mm-hmm. Concentration camp occupants who took pictures during their time in the camps. And this one, three minutes of lengthening, is very powerful. The film, again, will be opening this Friday at the Lemley Royal here in Los Angeles. It's also going to be opening the Quad Cinema 4 on August 19th. So be looking for it, Bianca. Stigter, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you so much for, uh, for spending it with us here on Film School Radio.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar.